This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular. And welcome to Angular Air. My name is Jeff Welpley. I am your host today. And I am with, as always, the wonderful Justin Schwartzberger. Hey, what's going on? Today, we have a really special episode that I've been looking forward to for a long time now. We are going to be talking with the one and only Mike Brocky. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. No problem, Mike. So today, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, the Angular CLI. Why don't you give us a little bit of background to yourself and then kind of in general uh, just what the CLI is. Sure. Um, I started off uh, my professional development career probably about uh, 15, 20 years ago uh, doing Microsoft technologies. Started with VB6 and then got into a little bit of the classic ASP, which then migrated around 2001 to into the .NET framework where I spent most of my career doing C-sharp.net, and over the last three, four years, I've been doing a lot of Angular development. Um, about the end of last year, so the end of 2015, I started to um, get involved with CLI. I wanted to start giving back to the community, so I've been contributing and collaborating on the Angular CLI uh, since the end of last year. How big is and, the team now, Mike, for the uh, CLI? How many people are working on it? Um, Nobody full-time, but part-time, there's a good six, seven people uh, contributing, um, at least on a regular basis. And then where are we at now? So obviously, uh, well, maybe we want to start with just talk about, like, what are the goals of the CI? Like, how did it come to fruition in the first place? Sure. So the CLI was just a matter of well, one of the problems with, not problems, but one of the troubles with modern web development now is getting projects set up quickly or getting the build process set up and getting your environment set up. So the goal, one of the initial goals was the ability to get a project scaled up pretty quickly. And once we get that set up, have a build process in place and everything else to be able to scale your project as you are making changes and growing with you as you develop your application. Not just an initial, hey, here's a quick little demo app, but also full-blown applications uh, from, when, from inception all the way through production. Okay, and then where are we at today? Uh, so that was the original concept. You guys started building it. Um, what's the current status? Uh, current status is uh, trying to fix bugs. We've been uh, focusing mostly on that. We did a lot of uh, push to get things ready for ng-conf, and I think that went pretty successfully. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people who have been using the CLI, uh, which is great. Um, but there were some bugs, and uh, there's also some pain points, which we're uh, actively trying to... Um, handle and uh, provide a better experience for developers using the CLI. Namely, uh, one that we can talk about today is the uh, build process. Yes, yeah, the build process is a big part of it for sure, and we want to get into that. So let's kind of talk about the way that this will run today. You know, I know that you have some things you want to show, so we're going to basically go through a couple of different tutorials that you have or demonstrations of some of the um, aspects of how the, tutorial, uh, how the CLI is used. And then if we have time near the end, uh, I know that we, we can, there's a million different 
discussion topics surrounding around the CLI that we can kind of uh, talk about as well if we have time permitting. And if anybody watching live want, has a question for Mike about the CLI or about the Philadelphia 76ers or whatever else, uh, you can tweet um, with the hashtag NGAIR, um, N-G-A-I-R, okay? All right, Mike, so yes. first thing, uh, you want to share your screen and maybe get into uh, what is really the first and primary way that people use it initially, the CLI, for scaffolding your app. Yes. Uh, let me get that up and running. So now you should see yourselves. And if I go in, start here. Uh, just started with an empty terminal. Um, so what I want to do first is just uh, scaffold off an application. Um, so I'm just going to use ng-new and specify the name of the particular project. Uh, and we can just do something of uh, ng-air. Uh, when I run that command, what it's going to do, it's going to create a new directory named ng-air, which is the name of the project. And you see there it has a whole lot of create lines. And what those are are the individual files within your project to be able to handle um, an initial project with an initial component, uh, a build process, and a build pipeline, and some configuration options as well for um, how the project is built, uh, executing unit tests, executing end-to-end -end tests, um, and everything else that you need for an Angular 2 project in the TypeScript language. Hey, Mike, a couple questions on this. So, uh, actually, first of all, can you bump up your font on the uh, so I can do that. And so... The scaffolding obviously has certain opinions. Like, I mean, that's the whole thing with the CLI, that it has opinions. And that is true. One, of, one of those being, you know, the folder structure and how your actual code is laid out. How do you guys, how have you been collaborating on that? And what happens when somebody wants to do something different? Um, if you want to do something different, uh, you can follow whatever folder structure you want. Um, it's not totally opinionated in that regard, um, but it definitely helps. So the opinion that we follow um, for the CLI is based upon the style guide that's published on Angular.io, um, and I'm sure we can get a link to that in the show notes or somewhere uh, to be able to see that. Um, but John Papa and a team of other uh, developers as well, uh, too many to name, um, have collaborated about the best style of where to place different things and how to organize your application for best reuse and readability and shareability amongst uh, across projects. So, uh, yes, and that makes sense. But since people aren't using, many people aren't using Angular 2 in production yet, you would expect that that will change over time, right? So what, what are the, how will the CLI evolve as far as the standards go? Um, as people come up with, hey, actually, the best practice should be to move this particular file in this other area. Um, so we work with the people who are um, putting together the style guide for the website there uh, on Angular.io, but we try to work with them closely. So if there's any changes that they come up with, uh, to be able to accommodate those in the blueprints that we're providing as well. Um, yeah. Also, there's uh, plans in the future to handle to have an upgrade. Um, command added to the CLI, uh, and we talked a little bit about um, that at ng-comp, I believe Hans mentioned it, to be able to provide an upgrade command so that you can upgrade not only different pieces within your application, but also third-party libraries, including the uh, Angular core 
or anything within the at Angular namespace. So whenever those things get upgraded, we can specify some upgrades to be able to um, upgrade your individual application based off of those changes as well. Is it still installing there? It seems to be, but I have another project already created locally just in case. Okay. It seems to be running a little bit slow. And that's one of the other things that we're looking at is that we know that it pulls down uh, quite a few dependencies, so shortening those dependencies. So I'm going to just let that run, and we can come back and check on that later on. But I created another project earlier, um, and my machine rebooted in between, but uh, it went through and created an application uh, for us in here. Rented to create. I haven't done anything other than uh, open up a code editor, which I will do now. And we can check the font size on that as well. So the one thing I will say that I am working off of is a local version of the CLI. I am not working off of the one on production, and I'll explain that in a second. So I have one additional command to run. So that is just telling my local project to use my local version of the Angular CLI versus uh, the one that's, that would be globally installed. So the reason why I'm running a local version versus a version out um, that's out on NPM right now is because the build process on one of our local branches within the repo uh, that has yet to be released, we're still working through some final things, has moved from System.js as a build process and Broccoli uh, into using Webpack, specifically Webpack 2. What was the motivation for that change, Mike? Um, configuration of System.js can be troublesome. Um, a lot of people, um, me included, uh, don't fully understand System.js and the way that it works. So we've heard a lot of feedback that people uh, were having some issues there. This story around pulling in third-party libraries um, can be cumbersome. Um, there's quite a few steps involved with that. Um, but we can, we'll walk through some of that um, as we move along here. First thing is we now have a project. Um, everything uh, will look pretty familiar. So we have a config uh, folder here that uh, stores some configuration information. Uh, in terms of which environment we're running, whether it's production or... Um, Can you bump up the font a little bit here, too, Mike? Yep. Is that too big, or is that good? That's good. Okay. Karma uh, configuration, protractor, uh, storage for the end-to-end tests, node modules, which have already been installed in this repo, uh, public folders for storing the... Um, public assets, so if you want to drop some images in there, anything within this folder will get uh, copied automatically to your dist folder, or your distribution folder, your source folder, as well as a few other uh, files in here to describe your project, including your dependencies uh, through project, or package.json. Um, inside the source folder is a um, standard Angular 2 project structure. Uh, starts with your main.ts, where you bootstrap your application, and which then references into an app component. Uh, which we have by default. The app component that you get off the uh, get-go uh, just specifies a title, which is then used by the template to display it within the application. So we can come in and we can just run that application just by serving that up. Uh, run ng-serve, so right off the bat it's going to build our project and start serving that up on port 4200. So sometimes the uh, initial build process uh, will take a little bit of time, but the reloading of that um, will be much faster because we have library reload built in here as well. And I'm going to move that off to the side. I have the folder here. And close that. Just open that project up new. You get a loading indicator, and then we see that the application is working. And we can come in just to make a change in here 
and say, flush that down, and we call this that the ng-air works. And we'll see that refresh here on the browser. So we have live road reload built in right off the bat. We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam. Extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. And Mike, is this uh, recompiling all of the TypeScript at that anytime you change one TypeScript file, or is it smart enough to know that you're just changing this app component TS file and it's only recompiling that? Um, I will correct myself if I'm wrong later on, but I believe it's just doing an iterative um, build each time once you've already started the run process. Okay. So, Mike, is the idea, because, you know, obviously everything you just showed you could technically do without the CLI. Um, and, I mean, every, everybody kind of understands that, that it's a matter, the, the goal is to make it so that your life easier, so you don't have to do, like, 50 different things in order to get, you know, the basically the same scenario that everybody wants working. But Absolutely. Um, if, is the idea that I should never uh, have to, in, in most cases, make, like, changes to, like, let's say, the, my own Webpack file? Like, moving forward, this is, like, not right today, but, like, eventually, do we want to get to the point where you never really have to make any, like, Webpack-specific changes directly that there are, you know, just rely on purely on the CLI and CLI config files, and that's it? Ideally, um, that's where I would like to get. I know that there's going to be some offs case scenarios, um, level one-offs, uh, where you're going to need to be able to control the build process slightly. Uh, but to cover the majority of the cases is the goal, at least uh, from my perspective, to be able to manage everything that you need from the build pipeline to have that in there. And not only just the build pipeline, but also the test pipeline and um, development, as well as production releases, too. Actually, that brings up one of the thought I had. So do you guys have any um, strict things, deadlines that you're trying to work towards for some, to get out before the official like Angular 2 full release? Like, is there something that you guys need to have, or is it more just going independently of the changes going on in the Angular 2 core library? Um, we do a lot to keep up with what they have uh, within the Angular core to be able to update the blueprint. So when there's changes, like there was a big scramble right before ng-conf to get every, all of our blueprints updated for the separate packages when everything was broken out into their own child modules, uh, whether or not it be core or forms or routes or anything, uh, to be able to break those out. So we did that rather quickly. And I think we're in a place where we can update our blueprints rather quickly. Um, other it, things for, are, for people that don't know, can you explain what a blueprint is? Sure. A blueprint um, is kind of what it sounds like um, from architectural uh, background, that you have some sort of template, uh, we call them blueprints, uh, that is a picture, uh, like a, almost like a something that can be filled in with the necessary values to be able to render a component, a service, uh, or a class, or anything else uh, within your application, or even just an application itself. Uh, a place that has different holes where you can punch in different values to be able to spit out uh, some usable code. Can you maybe show us what a blueprint looks like? 
Ah, uh, sure. If you, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, so sorry, sorry about that. No, 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 no. We're good. I can uh, definitely uh, run with that. Uh, I mean, I know, I know. There's a difference between like using the CLI and then like building for the CLI, and like the blueprint stuff would you only really need when you're building for stuff with the CLI, but um, instead of using it. But I think it would be useful to kind of build that mental model. Yes. So in here, this is the actual Angular CLI uh, source code here. So if we just come in and we'll just look at a very simple one. So in here we have the idea of generating a class. So whenever we generate a class, it'll actually generate these files in a dynamic path, which is this underscore path, uh, with a dynamic name, which is this underscore, underscore, name, underscore, underscore. So it knows to replace that with the name of whatever you have in there. And all it's going to do is export a class, a TypeScript class, and in here we have a val uh, variable that's being set in code uh, to specify the module name as a class name. So if a, you're creating a food template class, um, then the, cap the F and the T would be capitalized uh, as a normal class name would be. Um, but if you want, what we can do here, and this might be helpful. So I'm just going to go side by side here, and inside here we're going to bring up a component. That's wrong file. Make that a little bit bigger. Uh, so in here, and there we go from this up here. So you can see that what we have here is a component with a uh, blueprint here on the left and a rendered component over here on the right. You'll notice the similarities. The app component one's a little bit different and doesn't use the same uh, blueprint, but you can see that we can generate either a template in line or we can use the template URL and the same thing with styles or a style URL. And all it's going to do is give you the name of the component with a suffix of component, and these values just get substituted in. So that's the idea of what's available from the blueprints. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't looked at this yet, but it reminds me of, like, the Yeoman generator um, template stuff, too, which is the same, same concept, so. And there's a future concept of us being able to build our own blueprints in the, at some point, right? Absolutely, yes. There's going to be some sort of uh, plug-in add-on system to be able to override uh, the existing templates as well as uh, being able to supply your own custom ones. Cool. And that's multi-file as well, right? Same thing because that's what the existing system does, right? Yes. Sorry, I closed that down, but uh, yes, that's exactly right. You can have multiple files that you can generate. So when you generate a component, uh, by default, without overriding any of the default values, you'll actually get four files. You'll get the TypeScript file, you'll get the HTML template file, a CSS file, and a spec file or a test file. So all that's there by default for you. Sweet. So that's going to be sweet. So that's the multi-file uh, scenario. All right. Was there anything else for scaffolding? Uh, I could show generating a um, component as well, um, just to have something else out there. And hey, look, our other one finished here, so we're good. Um, I'm just going to open up another code window so I don't have to rerun that. So I'm just going to come into this uh, same project here. I'm going to do ng-generate, and I want to generate a component. And I want to generate that actually inside my source, shared, oops, uh, source app, and then inside the share folder. And that's part of the style guide to dump it into a share folder. And we'll just create something called uh, the foo, or foo. It not have like that. So I'm just going to go into this source app. Uh, that's why, because I did not go into my uh, project folder. There's an Angular error. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right, because if I go into the yeah, it should be a CD into shared, 
and I can generate a component in here. So those folders are actually relative uh, to the app folder. So I can generate a uh, component, if I can spell. Uh, so you notice here it creates those uh, four files that we talked about, plus an additional one, which is an index, uh, which is the idea of a barrel. Can you see that, or do I need to make that a little bit bigger still? I think I got it. Okay. Yeah, I see. So we can go look at those uh, files here within the project. Um, and those files actually aren't even be used. So create that foo, fol or foo folder underneath shared. I should probably shouldn't have named that foo. A tongue twister there. Uh, but we generated that component here that has a selector. Um, app foo is uh, the selector that will be used. Um, all of these selectors or uh, uh, tag names need to have dashes uh, per the HTML5 spec. So in the CLI, we provide the ability to specify. And I'm over here in a file called angularcli.json, which is some configuration information. And you can do, uh, specify the prefix that you want to use for your components. Uh, by default, you get app, um, just to help ensure that you're going to get a uh, hyphen with the names of each of the components. And is that, that prefix is directives as well? The selector and directives as well? No. No. And also, um, this also lowercase your name, the name of, I mean, the app component one, not the food component. So it will also make this all lowercase by default. Uh, but directives, since they can be, are case sensitive, uh, you, it does not change the case if you generate a directive. But what about prefixing them? Like the style guide, you know, recommends prefixing your, your directives with some sort of namespacing or whatever. Uh, let's generate a directive and just find out. We will name it uh, anything starts with D. I will just name this bar. And just to show the case sensitivity, we'll name this bar. And I've named it for us. That's nice. Uh, obviously, not a name that we would uh, create it here. But the selector in here, you'll notice, is an attribute that does not get prefixed. Um, this way, you can be explicit about the case sensitivity for your directives. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Um, one of the things I wanted to show in here is I know that one of the pain points of trying to set up a previous uh, version uh, with the system builder uh, was setting up SAS, uh, that you needed to install something, you needed to change a setting and get a whole bunch of things to get that to work. So I just want to come in here and we can come in here and we're going to do something very simple and just specify that we want the color to be blue. Uh, so let's show this in the background. So as Justin's talk uh, pointed out at NGConf, I am a style implementer. You are. Desi design implementer, excuse me. Design implementer. Yes. So I've just made things blue because that's what I do. Uh, but it would be very helpful to, say, have that color as a variable. So I can come in here and specify a color and make that blue. It isn't going to work in a CSS file. So I need to come in and I need to rename that file. It understands that, which is great. I come in here and just specify that I want to use that variable here, but it's going to give us an error here because we're not actually referencing this new file. We are now referencing something different or from our uh, component. We're still referencing the CSS file. We just need to change that to reference our uh, SCSS file, and you notice that works. So the only thing you need to do um, with the Webpack version, uh, which will be released uh, relatively soon, um, is to be able to change your file name and the reference to that file. No installs, no configuration, or anything. Uh, the only configuration that you'll want to do is if 
uh, when you generate new files, uh, you'd like to be able to use SAS. All you have to do is change the style extension in that same settings file and just uh, put the style extension that you want in there. Same thing works for less as well. So that's all there. We come in here and we can make this work. Very cool. So it's so a much easier that, story. We're going to break for a moment for a message from Angular Class. This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. How is that playing out? Can you describe a little bit how that plays out with the fact that uh, we're writing an Angular component and we're saying the style URLs is actually going to an SCSS file extension instead of a CSS file? Uh, is Webpack handling all that? Is it uh, during the build process and not in the client? Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. That is actually part of the uh, process. There was a loader, I believe there was, I'm not sure, the innards of uh, the Webpack implementation. But Webpack is fully handling that uh, for us. Uh, it will go in and say, oh, look, hey, that's a SAS file. I'm going to go ahead and load that and transpile that or run it through the SAS process to be able to uh, spit out exactly what you need within there. Cool. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Definitely a much easier story uh, to get your head around to be able to uh, take advantage of something as powerful as SAS uh, within an Angular 2 application. Now, one of the things, real quick, in terms of the Webpack scenario, like, I noticed you just, in your app component TS. I don't know, can you go back to that real quick? Sure. Um, you still have things crafted the, the way that's like if I look on Angular's website, the Angular IO docs and everything shows me to use a template URL to put the string in there for HTML, to put the string in there for the style URLs. Right? I'm still crafting it like Angular is recommending. Yet Webpack is doing the the build for me, the CLI and the Webpack. Uh, without me having to write source code in a Webpack way. That's pretty nice. Um, yeah. and, and that was one of the goals that uh, we were trying aiming for uh, with the move to Webpack, is that to not, because in the typical Webpack scenario, what you would be doing here is putting a require around uh, those strings. Uh, so maybe that would say template is referencing a require of the app.component.html. Um, and that would look something like... It's here, and you are requiring that uh, something like that. Uh, but that's very Webpack specific. So if you wanted to change your build process, then you need to go through your application and change a whole lot. Uh, this, uh, there was a, I believe it was another loader that was written uh, to be able to handle that parsing and the reference of the templates to pull that in uh, at build time. Uh, for that exact scenario, to keep it as parallel with the style guide as possible. And I think that part's really um, a big advantage here of the Angular CLI, right? Especially if we're already using it right now and uh, we transition over to the, the Webpack version, um, we're not having to refactor a lot of our code. Uh, because we're leveraging the CLI, we kind of almost get that for free here with the, with the upgrade. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I'm working off of a branch that I have locally here. So this isn't out on NPM. This is not going to cause any breaking changes for anybody. Um, but what we're uh, working on is a blog post to be able to step you through the idea of, all right, I have an Angular CLA project using system.js. What do I need to do in order to download the Webpack version? And now that I have that new Webpack version of the CLA locally, how do I update my project to be able to take advantage of using the Webpack build process? Nice. Nice. Yeah. 
Thank you. <laughs> to everybody who worked on it, thank you. Yes, uh, there was the team has definitely worked uh, rather hard on that. I, this is not a feature that I have personally worked on, and I definitely appreciate all of their hard work that they put into this. Um, it's going to be a much nicer uh, scenario, more aligned with what a lot of the community has desired and requested. All right, Mike, I think you were going to talk about also uh, pulling in third-party libs. I am. Um, so one of the ones that I was talking about, or that I'd like to show, is a library that uh, Olivia Combe wrote uh, called NG2 Translate. So I'm just going to go back to my project group here. I drop over here. And I'm back to my root product. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do an npm install of ng2 translate and just save that locally. Hopefully this uh, npm install runs a little bit faster than the, uh, creating a new project. So as that's running, we, I'll go through and we can still uh, add in what we need to, um, even though the dependencies won't actually be there yet. So the first thing that I need to do is to be able to import that in. Uh, so I'm just going to put an import statement here. And I am importing from, and I believe it is ng2 translate. And I have here. Uh, I have some reference over here, so I don't forget things. Oh, it's actually ng2 translate slash translate. That's the loading. So there's a few things that I'm going to uh, pull in here. And I'm going to need a pipe and a service as well as the providers. And that's in here. It's a little bit big, so you don't see everything here. But you see the providers, the service, as well as a pipe to be able to use it within the application. So I'm going to specify the providers in here. And in there, I'm going to need two things. I'm going to need FGTB. FGTB providers, which aren't there by default, but they are NPM installed already. So I'm going to pull that in. And I'm also going to pull in the translate providers. And I also need to import in the HTTP providers. And that's coming in from uh, Angular slash HTTP. And the reason why it needs that is because it will reach out to the server to be able to um, pull in your translations for you. Uh, the other thing that I'm going to need to specify is that I have some pipes that I need. And that is going to use the translate pipe. I have a little bit of code, which I'm just going to copy in here for the sake of brevity. I have a language, which is going to be your currently selected language. And I'm specifying three different languages in here. I have a method in here that is going to allow us to um, select a language. But it's using something called the translate service on this.translate. So I need a constructor to be able to inject that in. And I'm going to create that as a private variable on my class called translate, and that's going to be the translate and I need the body on my class. Any questions with that so far? Nope. That's good. Uh, the other thing I'm going to do is when I initialize my class, I want to set the language or select the language of the first language in the array. So I'm going to set to English by default. So that's great because now we have a way of setting our language in here. So we can, whenever we click on a button which we're going to create, uh, it's just going to set the current language equal to that and tell the language service that that's the language that we want to use based off of this abbreviation. 
So in the HTML file, we can come in, and I'm just going to put a little bit of text in here. And we'll just put things on some new lines here so that we can actually see what's going on. So all I'm doing here is I'm creating three buttons because I'm looping through the languages. Uh, whenever you click on it, select the language and set in the an active class uh, with the language equal uh, here. And I'm just going to steal some CSS. I get SAS. And we can get rid of all our colors in here. All that's doing is putting a little bit of style around that button. If we come in, we can see that we have now uh, an error in here because it can't actually find the files that we're looking for uh, for the language service, not anything in here. But you can see that uh, right off the bat, I haven't had to configure anything inside my project to be able to use this service. All I've done is an NPM install. And then in my public folder, I just need to create a folder of the i18n. And inside there, in order to use English, I need to create an en.json. And inside that file, um, we have specified in our template that we are looking for something called hello. And based off of that, it will translate that. So we need to specify a property in this JSON object uh, named hello. And in the English version, we want it to say hello. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to copy and paste. And I am going to then define also a Spanish version. And inside there. I'm searching my browser, just hola, and another one for French. I don't speak French, but I do know that saying hello in French is bonjour. Bonjour, hola. If I come in here and I click, it will then, it's still reloading, I'll set it to Spanish, it will translate that to hola and French to bonjour. So what we did is we brought in a third-party library uh, which used to involve configuring System.js, uh, how to find the vendor's file, the ability to bring those files into a vendor bundle, and configuring all of that, and there's a whole lot of steps. Now it's just npm install and import, which is a much, much simpler mental model to get around. And so uh, can you explain the magic a little bit behind that? Like, is Webpack handling that? Like, knowing from your import, following that through to know and and doing like some tree shaking or whatnot to figure out what vendor that, stuff needs to come in or how's that work playing that's out? That's exactly it. So it's based off of the imports. Uh, so in here, whenever we import, not try and make this a little bit bigger. Whenever we do this import here from MD to translate, it knows that that's a node module. So it knows to go out there and Webpack will say, hey, you're looking for that. So since you're using that and you're importing that, I'll bring that in for you to be able to find that. Um, within here for you dynamically without having to tell system uh, and just you did in a previous version of where to find that. And then whatever that uses, it'll go down the path for that to figure out what that needs to bring in? Correct. That, it'll, that it'll, it'll bring in whatever dependencies that it needs. And so I'll, really, I'll if, if, so if I want to bring in another third-party library, um, say some like syntax highlighting code and that has support for multiple languages, and, and I decide I'm only going to bring in that, that third-party library and three of the 17 languages it supports, I just do the, the uh, npm install, I do my import statements of the three languages that I want, and this thing's going to handle only bringing in the vendor files that my application needs and ignoring the rest, right? Absolutely. That is very cool. Yeah, which makes the, the um, what's being sent out to your browser out to the browser from your server much smaller and more concise because it's only bringing in what it needs to. 
Assuming, obviously, that the library is written in a modular way that it can uh, shake out what it doesn't need. Right. And then on the flip side, if I remove that package, that node module or whatever, then everything's cleaned up for me, right? In terms of, like, the next build that I do, yep. um, I, yeah, it doesn't have all that stuff, right? Exactly. Awesome. And I was also going to bring in material. I don't know if I have time to go through that, but I was going to bring in uh, the material design to uh, change the button uh, style that's in there. Yeah, that would be cool. Let's do that. Cool. So what I can do is I'm going to go back to my uh, command line, and I'm just going to clear this just to make a little bit more room uh, so you can see exactly what's going on here. So I'm doing an npm install of the Angular Material Core as well as the button, because all I'm bringing in is the button. So that's the idea of, uh, similar to tree shaking, that it's a modular piece. So I'm only bringing in the pieces that I need, in which case here we're talking about the button. And again, as that's running, we'll bring this over to here. We'll keep an eye on that in the background while that's running and um, specify our different imports and the pieces that we need within our component. So here, that is not what I need. I believe we need the... Directives. I was playing with both earlier, and uh, apparently what I had snipped out uh, was the card. And make sure that that's right. Uh, MD is, yep. So that'll uh, go green. So it has no idea what this is at this point, because it's still installing, as we can see over here. Also then going to specify that we are going to use that directive uh, within our template. So that's just telling our app component that, hey, we're going to be using the button directives inside of here. And in order to take advantage of that, and you see here that now that that's installed, it knows that it's there. So in order to do that, uh, we're no longer going to be using this class piece here because that's me making the button look really ugly. Uh, whereas uh, Material Design actually handles that for us. So I'm going to make a raise button out of this uh, by adding that uh, piece on here. And then I'm also going to specify um, the color property. I want it to be dynamic, so if my language is equal to lang uh, as you loop through. Uh, I want it this to be primary, just to make it the primary button. Otherwise, don't do anything with it. Let's go back to the browser and we'll see what that looks like. Here we have, uh, you'll notice this is the actual material design button. It functions in the same way, but it looks a lot better than the uh, fun little color that I had put on there in the font. So that's all it took to pull in the material design button was the idea of NPM installing it. And then from our uh, application, we just needed to import in the directive that we needed, say that we're using that directive, and then utilize it within our application here. And that was all to be able to pull that in. So we pulled in two third-party libraries without having to do any configuration within our application other than NPM install through the command line. That's awesome. That is, yeah, that is a great development environment experience right there. That's really cool. Slightly better than the previous process, so that's why we're all pretty excited to be able to get that in there. Yes, you should I, be. I mean, I, I wouldn't understate it, Mike. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, that the work that you're doing, I think, is the most important work for the future of, of the world. No, for... Uh, for, for <laughs> no, no, no. For, I'll for, take for, it, I'll take it. Let's call it back. For Angular, no, because... because I think Justin and I are deep enough in the weeds that we see so many of the benefits of with Angular 2 and with a lot of the stuff um, that's baked into it. But I do see that it's so hard to get there for many new, new people coming in because of the build process issues and a lot of the hurdles and in getting into this new world of JavaScript, right? And 
when the CLI is there and working well, and, and sort of the stuff that you are going towards here, Mike, um, that sort of eliminates that problem, and that allows you to benefit from all the good stuff there without the one biggest detriment to moving from you know, the, the previous generation of JavaScript-based technologies to this new one. Yeah. And actually, before we leave, I wanted to show one last thing. I maybe jump the gun here by doing this, but uh, I'll give it a shot anyway. So what I want to do is just a last little run, because I know that there's been some pain points around it. So all I'm just doing here is running an NG build uh, in production mode, uh, which I know that there's been some current um, issues with in the current iteration. This is going to run uh, build. I may run into conflicts here, because I forgot to shut down the serve. And you're seeing my screen, correct? Yes. So... What that's doing is it's running through and doing some optimizations within here and doing the Webpack part of the build. The 91% is apparently the hardest part. Nice. So in here, you see the production build is uh, running and it's running uh, rather uh, effectively as well. The one thing that I wanted to point out in here is that it's talking about the side effects uh, and the initialization of unused variables. So these are unused variables that are then being taken out. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's through the Webpack feature for um, tree shaking, right? Yes. That's cool. uh, so, again, making the bundle smaller because they have uh, taken out code that may be in something that you're referencing but not taken advantage of. So that's one story that was uh, currently lacking um, in the current version, or at least people were having issues with production builds, and I've actually experienced that as well. So it's nice to see that that's working. So when this feature hits, uh, everybody will be able to take advantage of production builds. Very cool, Mike. So we are getting near the end here, and we have a couple um, questions on Twitter that people posted, so let's kind of dive into those. And for anybody who's still watching right now, you still have a chance here if you post something right now with the hashtag N-G-A-I-R. Um, we'll get to it. So first from Brad. Hey, Mike, can you explain the purpose of the public directory? Sure. The public directory, actually, which we I took advantage of with the translate uh, implementation, I put that i18n folders, uh, those JSON files in that folder, inside the public directory. So it's a way of moving just raw files uh, directly from the root in your public directory into your dist folder. Um, and I can go back and show that if we have time or if you want me to. Uh, but basically, it's taking that folder that you put in your public directory and moving that directly into your disk directory. So for something static like the JSON files, it's the perfect place to put something like that to be able to move those over directly. There's no build process with them or anything else. So if you have a CSS library, if you're bringing in Bootstrap, uh, that's where typically I put things like that, or maybe a theme that you've downloaded off the web or bought uh, to be able to pull that in, jump it, drop it directly into the public directory or subdirectory within there. I typically would uh, put a theme into a styles directory. Um, and then you'll end up with a styles directory inside of your disk directory, which you can then um, reference through your in your index.html file. And things like the favicon and app icons or fonts, stuff like that. Any of those static resources, right? I believe that the favicon ends up um, in your in your source file. Uh, yes, that's already there. So your favicon is actually inside your source directory. Oh, okay. Uh, but that's already there. So. That particular example, no, but yes, that, that spirit of uh, static uh, resources that you need. So maybe you have some image files or anything like that, you could drop them directly in the public directory. 
Okay, and then Mohammed Mustafa is, asks, what happened to module ID components property? So the module ID property that was there um, is something that gets placed on the component that when it gets uh, compiled into, I think it was a common JS uh, syntax. Uh, so it puts an ID on that, which allowed for relative paths. So inside of our components, uh, you notice that we weren't, we didn't have any path pointed to the component uh, in this version of the CLI or the previous version with the system.js build. Uh, so it's all just local to that directory, and it's a relative path. So that you don't have, if you move a component around, if you move it up a directory, down a directory, or somewhere else completely in your application, and you move that component folder, then you don't have to uh, worry about changing your paths as every time you move a component. So module ID was uh, in there as a mechanism to find the local path for the component in order to find the CSS files or, or HTML files. So since system, or with the Broccoli build process, we were utilizing that ID to find that folder. And since we are not using that build process anymore, we no longer need that. Webpack is able to handle those um, for us. And also the relative paths will be even simpler when the offline template compiler gets involved into the uh, build process as well. Because then you're just going to raw JavaScript, actually technically TypeScript, out of that process. Uh, and it's all your templates and CSS will all be JavaScript instead of CSS or HTML. Okay. And then Jury asks, so the CLI will use Webpack 2 with tree shaking support built in. Am I understanding this correctly? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a, one um, of the co cooler features of Webpack 2 for sure. So it's great to have that in with the CLI. Absolutely. One of those things that everybody's like, hey, that'd be a really great thing to have. Um, how do you configure that? How do you configure Webpack? How do you get all that there? But it's already handled for you, which is part of the magic of the CLI that you were talking about earlier. Um, is that there's so many roadblocks of things you need to learn. Would you need to learn Webpack? Would you need to learn Gulp or Grunt or any other build process or system um, to be able to pull all of these files that you're writing? You see all these tutorials of just the code, just the uh, component or some other library that you want to utilize. But there's so much more to learn and to, uh, to know to be able to get a project up and running. But if you don't have to worry about that, then you can get focused uh, just on your application and focus on creating features for your users rather than, uh, because no users are really excited about, yay, you improved the build process. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last Twitter question from Brad. What does the roadmap look like for integrating test coverage reporting for CLI projects? I am not certain. I've heard um, some good things uh, that people have played with. Uh, we haven't brought anything in quite yet at, the, at this point. Uh, until we come uh, and finalize a story around that of uh, the best mechanism to bring that in. Uh, personally, code coverage can always be gained. Uh, I could get 100% code coverage on any library without a single expect statement, which is just a misnomer. So are you testing the right things? And I think, personally, I think testing should be a matter of educating developers to make sure that you're testing the right things uh, versus just relying on a number. Uh, because numbers can be gamed. You know, I, I think, Mike, that um, your top, I mean, it's just my opinion, but your top priority after, after you get the Webpack stuff in, and then that other refactor that you're doing to refactor everything to Dart, I think it was, you're going to, like, rewrite it all in Dart or something? Yeah, yeah that's been talked about. 
Yeah. <laughs> By other no. people, not me. Uh, I, so after you get past like the top stuff you're working on right now, I, I mean, I, I do see the um, easy, easily pluggable additions thing, like allowing people to customize it as uh, it will help you ultimately because it will allow for like something like this. I see like adding test coverage reporting, right? Mm -hmm. um, like you sh specifically should not be responsible for like uh, having to be on the hook for trying to get that in for everybody to leverage it. Like if we just had the more general mechanism for easily customizing stuff and publishing it, then that should be something easily that Brad can do himself and then share it to the world. Exactly, and then we could, we're all everybody can rely on Brad. Yes. <laughs> But uh, so in terms of the roadmap, um, I think the plugin story is a very important story uh, to be able to allow developers um, hooks into whether or not it's uh, changing the blueprint or if you have different, um, I don't know, default imports that you want on every single component, then you could uh, add something like that into the pipeline um, as well as exposing different hooks to the build pipeline to be able to do um, custom integrations that you would like. So rather than having to reinvent the wheel with your entire, with the entire build process, uh, you could then expand upon what's already there with the current build process. As well as potentially um, providing a full separate build pipeline to really override what's there. Um, so we've got to get to picks. We only have like six minutes left here, but uh, Matt just sent in one good question I want to get to here. So uh, Webpack... Uh, Okay, does the simple NPM install workflow work for all module types, i.e. CommonJS, global? So, like, basically, you know, obviously it works with TypeScript, right? Um, but is it just built into work naturally without configuration for other module types? Uh, yes, I was able to pull in uh, Lodash uh, when I've been playing around with that as well uh, to be able to pull that in. I think somebody else was able to get jQuery working as well. Uh, you may need to do some dancing uh, to get some type references in there or even just to specify that your library is of type any um, to be able to pull that in. Okay. Great. Uh, Justin, did you have anything else before we get to picks? No, just that very excited about all the work that you guys are doing. I think it's it's really making it to where people can focus exactly on building their apps and their features and get the ceremony out of the way of this other stuff. And also, the one of the things I, I do want to point out is you guys are really focused on making it, um, you know, fit in the mold of what the Angular IO, the style guide, and that sort of thing, but um, really in a nice manner where we as developers can still build in our normal process. It's not too opinionated. That's what I like about it. There's a lot of these generators and stuff that, that become very opinionated and specific, and, and you're just, you guys are just right in line with, with this sweet spot, I think. So very excited about that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Justin, since you're talking, why don't you start off with your picks? Yeah, okay. My pick is uh, I got one, and it's the Prisma app. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but this is basically kind of like a, a AI filter app for taking pictures that you take, kind of like Instagram, um, and adding this filter on it to make it more this art artistic look. And they've had an iOS app for a while, and they just released the Android app. Uh, I'm in the Android ecosystem for my phone, so I was pretty stoked about that. So you guys got check that thing out. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Amazing what it can do to your, your photos and stuff. Give them just this totally different look. It's pretty killer. Very cool. Mike, how about you? Sure. Uh, staying in the same um, 
family. Uh, I just saw on Twitter uh, not too long before jumping on here is that uh, the Twitter for Android client is introducing a night mode, uh, which is uh, slowly rolling out. So you actually can get a dark theme uh, for Twitter. As you saw by my editor and my terminal, I like the dark themes. Uh, so to be able to get that uh, dark theme for Twitter on my phone is going to be a nice thing once I get that downloaded or once that update is available. Uh, so that's my first pick uh, is to check that out when it uh, gets updated for your phone. Uh, second pick, learning. Uh, the only thing that is a constant in software development is change. Uh, so try do your best to stay up to date, whether you read uh, blog posts or books or you watch videos online or just practice and play with things on your own. Uh, also, the idea of attending meetups. So always keep learning. Uh, never uh, settle with what you currently know. Uh, just get out there and learn more uh, because there's always something else to learn that will help you in your day-to-day -day development in life. Um, the other pick is uh, the Angular 2 animation framework that's out there that was released, I think, with RC2 um, is phenomenal. I was able to add some really nice uh, pieces into the application that I'm currently working on, uh, pulling in just some minor animations to be able to show transitions within your application is phenomenal. It's uh, very straightforward to use as well. And there's good docs as well um, on the Angular.io site. So those are my picks. Cool. Thanks, Mike. And, and thank you very much for joining us today. It's been super educational. Uh, it's been great to talk with you. Thank uh, you for having me on. No problem. Um, so first of all, I just want to mention before I get to my picks that next week we are really excited, uh, sort of a, a dive deeper into one of the subjects that we talked about today. Uh, we're going to have Sean Larkin on from the Webpack 2 team talking about Webpack 2 and all its features and how it works and all the goodness. So if you kind of expand on what we talked about today, you're going to get all the stuff that we'll talk about next week, you'll have available in the future you know, through the CLI. Um, but it's good to know about how it works kind of underneath the scenes and, and what's available there. So really looking forward to talking to Sean. And then the week after that, we are going to do our Angular Universal tips and tricks with Patrick and myself. Um, so looking forward to that as well. Uh, for my picks, uh, so I am definitely uh, traditionally don't spend that time, much time thinking about political type stuff, and I'm not about to like actually take any sort of political stance here. But I will say that this has been the most amazing election cycle in, in the United States like ever, uh, just on pure entertainment value. Uh, so like the comedians are like having a field day, and there's so many good like clips and, and uh, things to watch um, from, uh, you know, basically every, every comedian out there, The Tonight Show, everything. But one thing I, I wanted to uh, put for a link that you probably have not seen is there's this actual third-party candidate, libertarian candidate for uh, the U.S. President, uh, presidential candidate, uh, Gary Johnson. And uh, he did an uh, interview with um, a comedian, Samantha Bee. And I just got a real kick out of it or whatever. So uh, again, one of these things that it doesn't matter what your you know, political beliefs are. Like it's just a funny interview. The guy, the guy's totally wacky. Like uh, it's it's hilarious to hear him uh, talk or whatever. So um, I'm gonna post that. And uh, that's it for me. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us today, and hope you have a good week. See you next week. Bye.